Good morning, gorgeous self-love community. Mwah. Welcome back. We are live. And I am here with my gorgeous co-host, Trish Wright, and our beautiful guest, Anna, today. Longtime sister friend of mine. So excited to have you on the show, Anna. And I'm going to just read Anna's bio. We have a great conversation about art today. And I'm going to read a little bit for you guys. Anna has been committed to fostering community for 22 years, first through pioneering the modern hoop dance movement and now through sharing her heart and presence in the realm of authentic relating, blogging, vlogging, and hosting transformational retreats across the world. Yes. Having been an explorer of hidden worlds since she was a child, a natural mystic and lover of all beings, Anna loves nothing more than to reveal in expressions of inner truths and other humans on the journey of life. Her mission is to foster authenticity, depth, and healing everywhere she walks with levity and frivolity not far behind. Frivolity not far behind. Excuse my... Frivolity. Frivolity, yes. (laughs) Close. Anyway, haven't read that word in a while, obviously. It's a good word. Bringing in my humanness today. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, well, you've read the description, so we can just drop into the authentic conversation. So, welcome, Anna. We're Mm -hmm. so stoked for you to be with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm super stoked for what will be unfolding over the next hour. Yeah. (laughs) Well, for our viewers, um, Anna and I have shared the love of hoop dance for years together. It's actually what brought our friendship about. And um, actually, Anna has been my sister before I even got married. And so it's just been such a joy to share in that pure magic of like dance and expression and artistry through that, right? It brought our it brought our synergy of like that deep heart-centered connection together. And we've been friends since then and um, shared on this journey of life. And here it is almost 20 years later. It's like amazing. 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 Yeah. Maybe we should share uh, one of the Good Vibe Hoop Tribe videos in the link so that if people want to know our, um, our roots. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, they're still all on YouTube. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You can see Dawn in her full hoop goddessness. <laughs> <laughs> and you in your hoop goddessness. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That would be fun. Yeah. I'd love to start off with a conversation around because it's near and dear to my heart right this moment. Mm-hmm. One's the importance of one's self expression in the full liveliness of life. Like, fully living through an authentic expression and how important that is and how important mm. that is for your children. Don knows that I have sort of an agenda right now. Yeah. I'm sure will come up because it's really hot in my life, but it's, it's really the transformational power of art, but also the transformational power of being fully welcomed in your authentic expression, which could be, you know, some people can understand that as, as an artistic expression. So mm-hmm. I'd love to start there. Yeah. Oh, that's a juicy place to start. Uh, so first, I believe that we're all artists. 
And that for me, my definition of art is not the product of what you produce in your artistry, but it's who you are being as you are in the, the realm of creation. And to me, the art is really you more so than, you know, whatever painting you paint or whatever dance you dance, that, that truly what's unfolding is what's happening within you as you're doing whatever that art is. So if, if that can be our context of, of when I say the word art, I'm really talking about the process a lot more than the product. Uh, and of course, authenticity is such a huge, huge subject, right? And I have a little bit of a of kind of a, I don't know, I, I have quirky ways of looking at things. Let's just say this, okay? So my view of authenticity is that we cannot be inauthentic. And I know that that might seem odd because we all try so hard and we put so much effort into finding our authentic self and being our authentic self. Um, but in every moment, you are being authentic to something. So I think it's less a stopping point or something that you discover and more, again, an act of being. So even if you are completely unconscious and you are totally blind, you are authentically unconscious and blind in that moment. <laughs> okay. So for me, looking at it this way takes some of that pressure off. You know, I don't know if you can relate to this, but but there, especially in spiritual circles, right? There's this pressure of like, what is my authentic self? Am I being authentic? Am I truly being who I'm really am? And so there can be this kind of stress and pressure linked yeah. in there. And I think that looking at it this way, it, uh, instead of thinking, am I being my authentic self? Is what am I being authentic to? Can take a little of the pressure off and add a, a little more curiosity, which again is, you know, my brand is deep and light. So that's like the light part, right? <laughs> so like, how do we, you know, lighten up even as we're diving into the depths of our process of who we are and all those things that can be really intense. You know, how do we add lightness to that? So as a starting point, those are just kind of like the frames that I tend to tend to be in. Um, yeah. I, really, I don't know if I answered your question necessarily, but that's kind of like the, the paradigm that I'm looking through. Yeah. I, lo I love what you're saying. And I, I really see it as the authentic self is always willing to e reveal even more. Like every day it's a new expression of more revealing. Like mm -hmm. I really love that, that word like that. When I think of authentic self, that's what I think of, of just like that opening of just allowing more and more and more of the authentic expression to come through. Yeah. Yeah. We're always seeking the barriers that we've built against ourself, love, mm -hmm. you know, to yeah. fall away, to fall away. So more expression can come through. So it's, it's every day, it's an exploration, right? And yes. that gives you the freedom to just be yourself and be free in the exploration of the love that you are. Yeah. Well, then you add have choice too. So if I ask myself the question, what am I being authentic to in this moment? And the answer to that question is, I'm being authentic to my fears. Then it gives you this pause, right? There's this natural pause of like, huh, I am authentically acting, speaking, and emoting from this fearful place within me. And now that I, it, it's like this, it gives this automatic little separation. And once you have that little bit of separation, as in you're witnessing it rather than being in it, then there's more freedom of choice, right? So then it's like, okay, what else is here? What would I prefer as my authenticity to arrive at, you know? And you could find, oh, there's 
there's some hope there or there's some trust that is also living within me concurrently because everything exists all together. We're multidimensional beings, right? We're, it's all there all the time. It's just that it's, we tend to can only be, we tend to only be able to focus on one particular aspect and express through that particular aspect at any one given time. So if you can kind of get that little bit of space and then go, Oh, wait, but there's also trust here. Hmm. Let me put a little energy into the trusting part of myself and then see what the expression comes out then, you know? And this all happens typically below the level of thought or language, which is where art comes in. Art often expresses what is inexpressible within us, especially when it comes to words. You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced this as people that speak for a living, essentially, that sometimes when you try to express something in words, a deep inner truth, it like doesn't survive the journey between your felt understanding and the actual words that you try to describe it with. You might get close, but there's still that sense. It's like a little frustration, right? It's a little bit like, gosh, that's like almost it. But there's like this deeper, there's more understanding than there is language to describe it. So art can actually express through the places that have no words and in a way that that can reach someone else's felt sense of understanding that also has no words. And so that's why sometimes when you see art, whether it be something physically artistic or a painting or, you know, whatever kind of art, there's this feel, you get this feeling, right? And that transmits information and understanding to you in a way that is deeply human just as much as language is. So we, we need both. I mean, there's a reason why there's cave paintings that are one of the oldest things that, you know, we have as an understanding of the people that lived before, you know, art is endemic to the human experience. Yeah. Well, love this conversation. <laughs> love what am I being authentic to? Yeah. I have, I have a similar conversation around what am I committed to? Mm-hmm. I, what am I committed to right now? Like what is, how am I behaving? Um, as a codependency coach and, and kind of like looking at this way that we conform to please others or conform to belong, which is often a place where we abandon oneself. And this is where, mm-hmm. you know, part of my, my work with Dawn um, is really like where, especially female bodies or women, uh, people identified as, as women have learned to mistrust one's self. And we have this place that we contort to get mm-hmm. our need and, you know, the social behavior around that. So the authentic place for me, like, is, is what am I committed to in the moment? Am I committed to meeting Dawn's needs? and connection that I need or am I committed to what's true for me in the moment and sometimes Mm -hmm. like so I'm in a class yesterday I'll just like pin this right right here I'm in a class yesterday and I'm actually really angry about something and I don't find myself in anger often um I I find myself in frustration and irritation but not like just full-on like I'm pissed (laughs) wait till you hit perimenopause that's all I got to say Sorry. I'm feeling pissed. <laughs> a couple things that I'm really, really protective of, and it's children, animals, and old people. And I get really, really upset when I feel like, when I feel, when I perceive harms against those um, communities because I know I don't think that they can have consent in, in some capacity. So I'm like, oh, anyway, side note. And so my teacher's looking at me, she's like, you know, your anger is a gift. <laughs> and and, is, and and sh- like shying away from sharing your anger 
with someone is actually an abandonment or a betrayal mm. of self. And it occurred to me and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> like, oh, you're right. I know you're right there. Because my authentic expression is, is I'm angry. But to yeah. lie to someone, to, to, to not share that I'm angry, mm-hmm. is actually not, in, not just a betrayal of self, but a betrayal for another person, to another person. Right? Absolutely. So it is mm-hmm. this place where I'm, so, so what am I committed to? Am I, am I committed to sharing what's real and alive for me? And, and you know what, I'm, there is, I do have some rules about how to show up with anger. Like I'm not going to come at people that I'm angry about and being like, rah, 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 rah. you know, I'm going to be like, <laughs> Oh, that's a good face. I would love it if you came with me. like that. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to take some time to process the adrenaline and cortisol. So I don't come at it violently or aggressively. So there's mm-hmm. rules that I'm going to come from the place of anger when I can come from a place of love and acceptance and, and compassion for the other person. Like mm-hmm. I'm not abandon my, my anger or my truth in that section, but I'm going to show up there. And sometimes that's going to be an authentic artistic expression. Maybe I'm going to like do like, I, I love open floor. Do you know what open floor is? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I love open floor because I don't have to talk therapy it out. I can just <laughs> exactly without words (laughs) authentic artistic expression of what is alive in my body so that I come to the people that I'm upset with and being like hey I kind of think that your your conditional love of this child is going to harm them in the future that you pathologizing them is actually harmful so Mm. I'm not going to see the difference yeah to what am I authentic to? I'm authentic to my anger right now, which is mm-hmm. the truest expression of self, or I'm authentic to my expression of masculinity, or I'm authentic to, and I love that that pinpoint. Like, thank you so much. Now, I do want to know about <laughs> anger of perimenopause. Give me, <laughs> and you're really also a whole other conversation, but yeah, you're also authentic to no longer abandoning yourself. Mm, yeah, like no matter what emotion arises. That's the commitment you've made to yourself. Hmm. And, and I really acknowledge that. Yeah. And you know what happens when you do that? Is that you regain and build trust with yourself. Yes. Hmm. I, I have a little bit of an edgy perspective on that, on anger in particular, if you guys are willing. So I actually think it's okay to show our anger a little bit more. I think that that there's a sense of having to sanitize our emotions before we'll speak about them. And of course, we want to be self-responsible. We don't want to just like use harsh language and like abuse someone. But I think there's something actually really important of actually allowing someone else to feel our anger. And that I think that we can do this. It's not always possible. We're human. We screw it up all the time. And then, of course, our responsibility then is to clean it up if we make a mess. But I think that if we can closer to the moment, go, I'm so angry right now, you know, and really let the other person feel it, then you're in the authentic moment, which is that you are feeling pissed the fuck off you know, and that that's a human emotion. And it's something that that I think anger is the number one thing that gets repressed, suppressed, shamed, you know, and that there's, it, it wouldn't be there if it didn't have a function. 
right? Yeah. yeah. So I think that if we can get comfortable, which is very difficult, that's the most difficult uh, emotion for me to be comfortable with. I'm definitely not still comfortable with it, but I'm trying, right? But if we can show, you know, the, the most transformative moments I've had with it, pe- it, with people that I have had issues with, that there was anger arising, happened as a result of me finally just showing how actually pissed off I was by yeah. allowing them to feel it. So I think that there is a dance to that and there's a way to that, but that, you know, cause I used to be in that camp too of like, well, I don't want it to get on anybody. And oh, I want it to be really just like totally processed before I actually say that I was angry because now I'm no longer angry so I can say it right. But what that happened, what happened for me is that it caused me to repress even more because I wouldn't allow myself to, to speak or even feel that until it was nicely packaged in a way that I felt wasn't going to ruffle anybody's feathers. But some of our power is in there. It's in I, there, you know. Yeah. And as women, I think we it's it's important to begin to just allow it to be and to speak about it in a way that that is real, you know. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, yeah. A deeply transformative moment for me around allowing myself to fully express anger was r- roughly around my twenties. I like twenty five. I think I was at the, that age. 26, I took this really powerful course at that time. And it really forced me to address um, really stepping into my rage and my anger that I had been bottling up all the years of my life around the child abuse I endured, you know, as a a child. And I was so terrified to show that side because I had been so subjected to it so much in my own childhood that I, I was so afraid to meet my own anger right? That it was like, I just, I just saw it as nothing but wrong and bad. Right. And that I never wanted to do that to someone. Yeah. I had experienced such the rashness and the, you know, just the terror of someone's rage. Right. And like, you know, overdoing it. Right. And so I really was forced. And I remember this man just got in, it was in a group dynamic. It was so powerful. And if you, if you, any of our viewers are ever struggling, you know, look for something like this in your, in your world, because this is the way to meet your anger and step into your power with it in a healthy dose, a healthy way. And the man really called me forward and got in my face, like my dad would and like, <laughs> pointing and saying all these things. And it was in a group diet setting where all these people were watching. And I finally was able to just like come out of my heart and like need it in a, and I had never experienced anything like that. And I've done a lot of things, workshops like that since, you know, in my years of growing as a human. And so it was very cathartic and healing and uh, owning of my expression and allowing myself to become home to that part of myself that it's, it's a part of me and it's not wrong or bad. And I'm not abusing others by owning my power. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you're saying. And yes, I fully agree in expressing your anger is, is necessary. Mm. And there's some places that are safer Yeah, where you can actually be heard. For example, like um, with Dawn, I can just show up in my anger with, I'm, I'm a feeling like I can show up with my anger with you or mm-hmm. Or yes. even my mother or the people that I live with. Now, my father, on the other hand, I have to be particularly strategic with him because mm-hmm. he will shut down and he'll like shut me out. Mm-hmm. So, particularly with this this particular person, I'm I'm like, oh, yeah. The way that I have to share my anger is from a place that he can hear it. Mm-hmm. I can't just meet him there. Uh, he he can't meet me there. 
he can't hold me in that place. Hmm. Because then he, I mean, he, he did kind of like jokingly call me um, psychotic. Hmm. Yeah. Because of my authentic expression. So I was like, oh, all right. You just made it unsafe for me to be authentic with you. Okay. I'm. Can I ask you a personal question? Ah, yeah. Did you Did you express that to him? No, but I'm going to. Yeah, it might be an important point of learning for for oh, both of you. Yeah, I'm I'm really contemplating because so for me sometimes the the I, I definitely have a, a a challenge. This is a, I, I've had a challenge in the past knowing what to do with cortisol and adrenaline as it's running through my body. So when I have the inflamed moment where I'm just in the human body without having the rationale behind it, like that's, I know that's a violent or, or, or like angry place of me. And I could just be like, you know, bitey, like, and I'm yeah. like I actually don't want to come from that place. I want to be more rational. So I have mm-hmm. to let that process through my body, which takes, you know, 25 minutes to 35 minutes before I can come back to my rational brain, get out of my, <laughs> come back to my front, like come back, like the amygdala back into my frontal lobe. So that means mm. I can't give a shit about the person again. Right. Y'all are getting some, some real like upset fish <laughs> today. <laughs> um, Anytime you're upset, it's an opportunity. It when, is. What's the opportunity in it for you? For me, I know that where it's coming from, I know that it's mm. a deep place of a value that I hold. Right. Like as you, you, you all have walked the um, self-empathy tool. It, my anger comes from a deep place of protection, of deep love and acceptance of the people that I, that I hold. Right. Mm. And so, and I know that. So I'm the more angry that I am, the deeper it is for my childhood or for, you know, the things that I'm looking at. And so for me, I want to come from a place of compassion and love. Like I'm not going to talk to him unless I actually deeply can, can just sit with loving him except mm-hmm. for his experience. And I'm going to share, Hey, these mm-hmm. things from a place that he can hear it. And mm-hmm. that is how to use my love and my anger in a really direct way. So mm-hmm. I think that, yes, we all need to just give ourselves permission to be angry and yeah years for it yeah do you, are you guys familiar with uh um is it this is my per, my great example of how to pro, how to be in your anger in the moment and still communicate is uh, yeah. there's a character on on um on saturday night live it was played by an adult man but he was like a little kid stewie do you do you remember that character was he like dating myself yes that one look what i can do yeah that guy so there's all these times where he gets mad and they're like what's wrong and he's like i'm in my dark place you know (laughs) and to me he's he's like my my hero of you know how to how to express anger in a way that is self-responsible and also honest while not sanitizing the anger right so You know, that's something that's just an example of something that we can do when we're feeling all that adrenaline, all that cortisol is we can say, I'm really angry right now. And you can practice it next time you feel anger. Just say the words. I'm really angry right now. I'm going to leave the room. And when I'm calmer, I would love to have a conversation with you. 
so that you are not hiding that you're angry. You're in the moment saying, I am angry. And because I love you, I'm not going to speak to you right now until I'm more calm. And then you're leaving. So actually, and when you leave, the person who's left behind is aware of your anger and is aware of how intense it is because you had to leave the room. (laughs) So they're going to go into their own process, right? And for me, I have full faith in the ability for people to transform, even people that you would never, that you have just given up on. You know, I have full faith that people can transform if given the opportunity to see reality, Uh right? So you're leaving them with reality. And then you're going to go process and they're processing whatever they're doing. So that then when you do come together, if you are able to achieve from full anger to full compassion, you are a freaking superhero. Okay. But if you're able to do that <laughs> and come back with that such that you're comfortable enough to speak, then they have something more to bring to you as well, knowing that you had to leave because that's how angry you were. So then you're meeting back together in a place that's far more real than if you didn't say anything and you just like booked it and then you came back. They're completely oblivious. They didn't have a space to process what just happened at all because they just don't even know because you hit it, right? So that's just one thing. And you and it's hard. It's really hard when the cortisol and the adrenaline is going because what you're going to want to say is not what you're going to force yourself to say. <laughs> And sometimes as soon as your mouth opens, oh, all that bad shit comes out, right? So it's something that you do kind of have to practice. And you can literally just say it out loud. Next time you feel anger, I'm angry right now. Say it out loud. I'm going to leave the room. And when I'm calmer, I would love to have a conversation, you know? Yeah. So that's an authentic relating thing, by the way. Authentic uh, uh, Love Coach Academy teaches this in called Connected Time Outs. And the only thing that's added is reassurance. So mm, it's like, yeah, it's like dawn light. I'm very angry right now. <laughs> I love you. I'm committed to this relationship. I'm leaving. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I'm gonna go process my feelings. I'm gonna come back. Yeah, when I have capacity and when I can show up lovingly. Yeah, have this conversation. And so, like, I love that. Um, yeah, you know, there is sometimes like for me with this particular experience is that. Mm-hmm. I didn't get angry until later. Hmm. Like I didn't, like I sat with it and the more I sat with it, the more fucking pissed I got. <laughs> yeah. That happens too, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're dehumanizing this little human no. for, for their ex- exploration. Hmm. Like, they're 13. Their hormones are fucking crazy. Whatever. Yeah. Like just, hold the safe container for them to do whatever the fuck they're going to do. <laughs> yeah. Hold it. You don't have to shame them or, or make them bad or, or like pathologize them and make them hmm. like mentally ill because they're exploring whatever it is that they're exploring. I mean, they're not abusing anyone and they're not hurting themselves, hmm. but you suffocating their expression is going to cause harm. If hmm. you don't know, this is what happens. <laughs> well, that's a lot of us, you know, we grew up in an age before our parents knew what kind of impact they were having. So even well-meaning parents can do things that, you know, really screw their kids up, you know, because it was in an age, especially, you know, I'm 46. I don't know how old, well, I know how old Don is, but, you know, um, a, you know, a lot of us in that, you know, 35 to 50 year old range, you know, we didn't grow up in an age where parents were reading books on how to parent and didn't understand, you know, 
how they're affecting their children. If you were alive, they were doing their job, you know. So luckily now people are thinking about it a lot more, at least some people. And, you know, there's a lot more consciousness going into, to, you know, how you are with your children in, from a frame of how it's going to affect them into their adulthood. You know, it's not enough for them to just be alive, you know. <laughs> like, it's yeah. been a radical conversation for me. Yeah. I'm constantly like, how can I parent better? You know what I mean? And I broke that chain of – we have an echo. Oh, I broke that chain of, of, of abuse, you know, and really do my best to just be the best parent I can be, you know, and it, it matters to me to be a good parent. Yeah. Yeah. You parents really got a lot going for you right I'm now. I'm not a parent, by the way. Well, I mean, it's- I have animals. You are <laughs> in the world. is like the world is shifting and the way that beliefs are shifting right now and the way that we see the world and, and how we've seen, like- we're, we're all like kind of acknowledging that there's a lot of lies that we've been force fed. And we're like, yeah. shit, what we thought was true is no longer true. And mm. poor parents. I, I'm like, sometimes I'm like, sometimes I think about Donna and I'm like, damn, she's got a whole lot of work going <laughs> on. Work cut out for her. <laughs> I know, so like, sometimes I just think about like mm. my, my sister's children or my sister or Don or the people that I have in my life who are parents. And I'm like, Wow the way that children, what they're stepping into this wave of children hmm. having to, they're, they're literally causing all of us to touch places in reality that we actually haven't touched in ourselves yet. And I'm like, damn. I, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Parents are amazing. Hmm. That actually brings us back to art. I was going to yes. say, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was literally about to do that. <laughs> nice. Well, because, you know, it, I don't know if, well, Don, you're probably familiar, although you homeschool, right, Don? This year, yes. But yeah. Well, before he was in school? Yeah, he's in a charter school still. Okay, awesome. So there's art still there. But in a lot of our school systems, art is like the first thing to go, right? And, you know, oftentimes, especially as a child, uh, art is some of the ways that maybe the only way for a child to process emotion of what's happening to them in their lives, you know? So the more we can encourage children and all people to re-engage in art, I think the more there will be a space for transformation. You know, there's like, just like the hoop, transformation has no beginning and ending and there's no one way to enter into that path, right? So some people find healing and transformation through spiritualities, maybe some through religion, uh, some through just self-help or therapy. Therapy. Uh, art, I think, is another um, totally valid pathway for that. And just like the hoop does for so many people, any hoopers watching this will probably relate. Sometimes you start out as an artist um, or doing any kind of art because you're just like, oh, that's intriguing to me. Um, I want to play with that. And then you begin, it begins to reveal yourself to yourself. Yes. And maybe you don't even expect that. So one thing that's that's really powerful about art as a tra transformational pathway is that sometimes it draws in, you, it'll draw you in when you need the healing before you even know you need the healing. So that's yes. how the hoop occurred for me. You know, when I found the hoop, I was really in a lost period of my life, which I have re-entered over and over again because that's just what we do, right? It's like on the spiral. But I had just come out of, you know, not only a traumatic childhood, but a traumatic teenagehood and a traumatic early adulthood. And I was just like, I was 21, 20, yeah, I was 21 or 22 years old. And I was like 
bitter and spent with no aliveness left. I was just like, I didn't know what life was for. I literally, I was really lost and didn't even know I was lost. Right. So when I saw someone hooping on the side of this, um, the grassy field at a music festival, and she was just like radiating with bliss, just hooping on her waist, not even moving around, just like literally just like swaying with the hoop like this, with this big old giant hoop. And something in me was like, I need that. Right. So I went over, tried the hoop, dropped it a bunch of times, but as soon as it clicked, it's like all of a sudden it was like, whoosh, I'm alive, you know, and this is what it feels like to be alive. And that's why it hooked me in. Yeah. So in this, in the sense, hoop dance didn't necessarily like heal me completely. If, if that's even possible, like it's, you know, healing is the journey of, of being human in my estimation, but it kept me on the planet long enough to be on the walk towards being more healed because it gave me a sense of who I was, what, what I came into, he, into this planet, onto this planet with, it gave me a sense of that again, of this like celebratory, joyful, socially connective being that loved to just enjoy life, you know, and I had forgotten that's who I was. So yeah. art can give us that. It can give us this, this pathway to who we actually are long enough so that we can begin to explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really love what you're saying. I The echo is just... Oh, no. Is it still echoing? I don't hear an echo, by the way. I'll just shut my... Yeah, so anyway, I'll just work through it. But Aww. there's a strong echo. Um, anyway, what I was saying was uh, I really resonate with what you're saying about, the, about hoop dance, how transformative it is, because it was for me and my... I feel like for me, because I had such a difficult childhood, like, you know, I was deeply frustrated, angry, rageful, like lots of relationships that didn't work out by the time I found the hoop at like 20, I was 26, maybe when I found it at 27. And it transformed me. And I, it's interesting because I was DJing a lot at that time in my life and really submersing myself in music. And I would be, I was a massage therapist and a DJ. And so in between my massage clients, I would just jam out to music and like DJ. And it was so fun. It was just like my own private little thing that I was in love with. And then the hoop came into my life and like stole the show. I was so enthralled by it. And what happened for me, it was so transformative for me. It brought a sense of like balance and connected connectivity to my soul that I was really craving. And it allowed me to really unearth this part of myself that felt like I didn't get a childhood. I got this playful expression to come about that I didn't have in my, my childhood was so squelched. You know, anytime I had that freedom or expansiveness, it was always squelched, you know, or like tried to like sit down, shut up, be quiet, you know what I mean? Kind of thing. And I, I just got to be free in my expression of my dance. And it just, I mean, I remember I fell in love with it so much. I had to master it. Like I gave myself a black nose and like big bruises on my hips. I was so dedicated to learning it. It was transformative. It changed my life. (laughs) And I bet when you tried it, you did not expect that to happen. Right. It was just like, Oh, that looks like fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember I was terribly bad at it. I got, I bought it and then it mowed over my friend's, my friend's plants in her yard. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And then I, I owned it cause I purchased it. And I was like, I'm just going to keep trying this. And then I just went for it. And it, yeah. it really 
it really brought me back to that heal, like you said, that healing path that was always in me, right? Yeah. I had already, I'd already studied psychology at, a little bit at the at the JC in Texas, where I lived in Texas, and and then I, by the time I found the hoop, it was in, it was living in Santa Barbara, and it, like it really brought about this like like centrifugal force in my life to really like master all parts of myself and bring mm. back wholeness to a place that I didn't feel whole. Mm. And in that, like I was already exploring and leaning into like really calling in my soulmate, you know, and then he came into my life shortly after that. So it was very, the, the hoop really just kind of like anchored my energy in a way because I was so committed to like feeling all parts of myself through that experience. I think that it does that naturally too, because I mean, think about it. Like if you start out, especially the, at, nowadays when people start hooping, oftentimes they start on their, with their hands. They don't even go on their waist at first. Right. But back in our day, <laughs> we started on the waist. Right. So when you have something touching you physically on your body, your attention naturally is going to it. So what happens when our attention is drawn down deeper into the body, we're no longer in our heads right? It's now our consciousness has traveled deeper into a deeper place in our bodies. And so that gives us this like, oh, like you can stop suffering for a minute because so much of our suffering happens with what's going on up here. And the hoop gives us, it's this constant because it's coming and going, coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. So it's like here now, here now, here now, no, 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 here now, here now. And if you get out of that, then you drop the hoop. You come out of rhythm, right? So it's like this Zen master that entrains you to stay in the moment because that's the only way it works is if you are in the moment and you are in full awareness of the contact between you and the hoop, or you could use it as a metaphor of you in the moment. That's how presence happens. So the hoop, whether you're conscious of it or not, trains you for moment, uh, being in the moment and and amplifying that sense of presence in the moment. And it's really powerful. It is really powerful. Yeah. And you could say that for any kind of art expression, yeah. like painting or, you know, I, I was an artist all through high school. Like I, I took all art classes because I just, I needed that healing. I was seeking healing through art. And, um, and then that opened up the broader depth of like ex- exploration through, you know, all types of things I've done. But art was like the foundation for me, dance and movement and art. And that really was what brought me home to myself and really that deep connection and I can honestly say, like, I made sculptures and all kinds of things. And it's, mm. it's that deep inner process that you go through when you're making art that gives you a sense of, like, connection to yourself. Yeah. And it gives you a way of expressing before you're ready to say whatever is happening inside of you in words. Yes. You know, and sometimes if you've had a particular traumatic childhood, you need a long period of time of a safe way of expressing before you have gone through whatever you need to go through or articulated whatever you need to articulate for yourself in such that you can reveal it in language, which is also obviously we all know a very powerful step in healing is being able to articulate what's going on for us such that others can hear. And also so that we can hear, like as soon as something is revealed and this is the essence of authentic relating too, along with a lot of other modalities. Uh Oh, can you guys hear me still? Yes. Okay. Um, so the essence of authentic relating is that in revealing something, sometimes even something that you think is like, oh my God, this is like the core wound of my life. And I don't know if I'm ever going to get through this. And it's like so big. And then when you actually say it, it's like just the light of day shining on the words that you allowed to escape from your mouth allows it to dissolve. And suddenly something that was so huge is like nothing at all. 
And sometimes that's all, you don't have to even process it. It's just speaking it is all that's necessary. But the road to being able to speak it clearly, authentically, with articulation that is as precise as possible is really long. So I think that's like the hardest part. Once you actually let whatever it is that needs to come out, come out, then it's like, oh, but that's like the scary thing is that that's a scary thing though, right? We think that as soon as something that comes out of my mouth, something bad is going to happen. And this is a holdover from having to have secrets when you're a child. That if you say something about what's happening to you, something really bad is going to happen. I am going to be at risk or the people I love are going to be at risk, you know, and that's, that's part of trauma. So yeah. as an adult processing through all the fucked up shit that can happen to us in our lives, you know, we have to get over this idea that our words are dangerous. Yes. We're because, that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, we, we teach it to ourselves too. It's, it's the assumption we make as a child as well. Cause like, you know, you, you want to survive and your only way of surviving is having some kind of harmony such that it is between you and your caretakers, even if they're horrible. Well, so the it is dangerous in that moment, you know, so uh, attachment theory, right? Yeah. So in the essence of attachment theory, that there's ways that our parenting styles have impacted our children. Um, mm. I'll just talk briefly about it. Um, so, uh, okay. So you've got avoidant attachers who generally have had, um, very call them helicopter parenting. Do you know what I mean by that? So helicopter parents are often like over their children and they're like, you got to do this. And they're, they're really like, like <laughs> focused on their child and what they're doing. And, and, oh, you have to be in all these sports and you have to be really good. And, and it's like, ah, the child kind of goes, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> So then you, you either like move towards that behavior or generally most people move against that. And so you become, you have tendencies to become avoidant. Now there's anxious attachers who might have had other types of neglect, neglect, neglectful parenting has a tendency to provoke um, disattached mm -hmm. ch children where they're like really needy and they're really scared. Maybe there's like some food scarcity stuff going on. Then you've got fearful avoidance, which have a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. right? So then you're you're like the overbearing parent and the neglectful parent. Now you're kind of disorganized, and it's like, oh, <laughs> but stay the fuck away. That's really <laughs> <laughs> which which means that you, the relationships in your life are a little like <laughs> mm -hmm. moving towards security. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of our understanding around secure attachments, like not very many people, especially children, children coming up and children like us have mm -hmm. looked at some of these patternings, right? They're like, oh gosh, um, I have this tendency to be like, or I have this tendency to be, or I have a sense of, being, you know, mm -hmm. and so we're now starting to look at parenting in this way, right? Childhood is a bitch. I agree. Antonia, childhood is a bitch for a lot of people. I mean, like you've heard Don's story, you know, Anna, yeah, I hear some aspects of your childhood and you guys have heard a shit ton about my childhood too. <laughs> and, and I, and, and so as we grow into our self-love, as we grow into our self-expression of the finding artistic expression, which, you know, it could be hooping or dancing. It could be the gestalt dance movement. It could be, you know, theater. It could mm -hmm. be poetry. It could be, you know, splashing paint on the wall. It could be just mm -hmm. 
doing really like not awesome <laughs> artistic works, you know, like when you're like, Oh my God, this sucks. <laughs> and that's actually just the expression of like, that's for, for those of you who are listening and watching. And I'd, I'd also just point out right now, like I, I thank you for Jennifer and Leah and Eugene and Antonia for being here, like, and for showing up for yourself every week. You know, a lot of you are, are here every week. Hmm. But it's it's not about doing it amazingly. Like, you don't have to be Picasso. Though, we all know that that's like a, you know? <laughs> you don't have to be an epic artist to hmm. have your authentic expression and, and to have artistic expression and to hmm. find what works for you. Do you know how many art, artistic projects I've picked up that I'm like, I have, I have a box of beads that I'm like super interested in beads. And I'm like, this is hard and I suck at it and it's frustrating more than it's, ex it's expressing me. So I'll flail around like a weirdo in the yard and express myself that way or theater. Like I, I love to dress in different characters and I love to express my masculine as mm. an artistic expression. I love that. That actually helps me feel balanced. Um, mm throwing paint on on a piece of paper which is terrible <laughs> like it looks bad and I know it looks bad all my friends are like good job <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, or I'll write poetry and it's I know that it's not good like I know that but it's not for someone else it's not for validation so I'd, hmm. whatever your authentic expression is and I you know Leah said cooking and dancing and drumming mm -hmm. like who's watching now <laughs> in the future please write what your authentic expression is what your artistic truth is and mm -hmm. let's hear some of your ideas Would yeah you and I, I just want to say too that to remember that um if this works for you to try on the frame that art is not the product it's the process love so, that yeah love and you can write that down if you want because we all need reminders of that over and over again and so that if you look at it that way then even things like when you're frustrated okay, I'm re being revealed to myself right now. My frustration is being shown to me through the process of engaging with my art. And so, yay, that means I can experience it. I can love myself anyway. I can, I can engage with it. I can now, now has given me a platform to engage with my frustration in a way that is transformative. So, you know, like one example of this is, you know, I was trying to learn this hoop move and there was like this one point, it was this shoulder move where I duck out on one shoulder and then I would duck out the other way to come on my other shoulder. And then I duck the other way and it comes back on. Okay. So it's not an easy move by any stretch of the imagination. And it would always get to this one point and then it would fail. And I say that fail <laughs> because there's no failure in hooping. There's only opportunities, right? Um, but it would always fall at this one point. And so I was just like frustrated, frustrated, frustrated. And then I, I suddenly noticed, I was like, oh, right at that point, that is showing me the length of time of my, my attention span. Because right about there is where I lose focus on the sensation of the hoop on the body and instead go into my head about what I'm afraid is going to happen. Yes. So wow. this is showing me, yeah, this is showing, not, not only showing me that this is the amount of time it takes for me to go from my body to my head, but it's giving me an opportunity to process through it, right? So once I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, so what if I really just try to keep my focus on how the body feels? And so once I did that, it got just a little bit further around my body and then a little bit further around, then a little bit further around, then eventually I got it.
And wow. it also increased the amount of time that I could sustain my attention on the moment rather than jumping into my thoughts about the moment or my fears about the moment, right? And this is not particular to hoop dance. This is particular to anything. Maybe you're painting a painting and you get to a certain point in the painting and then you lose focus on the touch of your brush on the, on the, you know, the canvas and instead go, oh, this sucks or I'm never going to be good or why am I even doing this, right? So if you can then be become conscious of what just happened, then you have the opportunity to deal with it. Because I promise you, if it's coming up in your art, it's coming up all over your life. And yeah. probably to greater significance than just whether or not your painting is good. So that's where the transformation, transformational power of art can get really potent and, and, and infiltrate the rest of your life. Yeah. Wow, what a gorgeous expression of that. Thank you for saying that. Oh, thanks. Thanks for hearing it. <laughs> so I art is not the, the, the product. It's the process. Be in the process. Be the art. You are the art. It's just the way it exactly. goes. Exactly. Yeah. I'd love to invite you to take us through a little process. Yeah. Like, everyone who's watching and listening, I really invite you to just drop into this moment with Anna right now. Is it Anna or Anna? Anna. But you can say Anna too. Some people, people call me both now. It used to annoy me, but now I'm fine with either one. Whatever rolls off the tongue. I'll call you what you want to be called because that's important to me. Anna is how I was, the, the name I was given at birth. So that's okay. fine. Yeah. All it right. also leaves room for a lot of expression because if you're mad at me, you can be like, Anna. Anna. If you like me, you can be like, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's what the H is for. Watching and listening <laughs> to really just drop in with Anna and yeah. really like, yeah, just show up in, in this process for yourself. Mm -hmm. Take it away. All right. All right, lovelies. So here we go. Okay, so whether you're an artist or not, I'm just going to give you some ways to know whether or not the thing that you're about to engage with is the thing that is going to be the most potent way for you to travel through this process of being art, living art. Yeah. So the way that I found the hoop is because I was attuned to what was drawing my attention and why. And this is something that came out of a, a long, uh, many, many years of lucid dreaming as a child. So just kind of an aside story, but you guys might get a kick out of this. So when I was a kid, I was a chronic bedwetter. And uh, I know now that oftentimes that's what happens when um, you have trauma as a child for a girl. So oftentimes you end up being a bedwetter. So if that was you, you can forgive yourself. It's normal. Um, but no one could figure out why. I had all sorts of tests. The doctors didn't know what was going on. Nobody knew what was going on. And what I realized was, and I was like six or seven, I was dreaming that I was on uh, the toilet and didn't know I was dreaming. And so I would wet the bed. So I started asking myself every time I uh, went to the bathroom to pee if I was dreaming. Now, eventually, you're going to find yourself in a dream. And the answer is yes. And there you go, lucid dreaming, right? So as a lucid dreamer, you become very attuned to attention, what attention does, how you can create change with attention, and how you can dive into whole different worlds with your attention. So like if you're in a dream and you're in a landscape and all of a sudden you notice a butterfly and you get really focused on the butterfly, you can then find yourself on the back of the butterfly or a butterfly yourself or it, your attention changes the world that you're in when you're a dreamer. So I, my perspective is that waking life is just the same. So next time you are out uh, or in, wherever you are, 
you want to begin to ask yourself, where is my attention? And even more specifically, what is drawing my attention in a way that feels good, that feels intriguing or sparks your curiosity? Or it's just like, I like to call it like, like my ethereal ears perk up, right? Like there's that little sense of like, huh, like something just like a little it's like the very, it's a very subtle feeling and it might take some time for you to begin to notice, but just asking yourself the question will begin the process. So don't force it, don't push it, but literally just where's my attention and where's my attention that feels good? Like what is, what is, what is sparking my curiosity? So for me in the moment when I found the hoop, it was the bliss that was emanating off of this woman. Like she just, she stood out from the crowd to me. Everyone else was dancing. Of course, they're having a good time, but there's something about the way that she was moving that just, it was like this wave of bliss emanating. And that sparked my little ethereal ears went boop. (laughs) And because I was attuned to that as a lucid dreamer from a young age, I was like, oh, I'm going to go that way. Yeah. And especially if you are more attuned to suffering, which many of us who've had trauma are, we are tuned to suffering. We notice that right away because we are in that a lot. We, you know, it's, it can almost become an identity, the suffering, which it was for me for sure. So it takes a little bit of effort to attune your attention to something other than suffering. Um, but as soon as your attention is attuned to something that feels good, that's a little spark of a little like, ooh, like a little, little bit of life, right? Go that direction, you know, whatever that is, as long as obviously it doesn't hurt yourself or anybody else, but just give yourself to that little bit of attention. So for me, what did I do? I went over, I picked up the hoop and I tried it and that started, that sparked 20 years of exploration and it it sparked a whole life. You know, had I not followed that little blip, who knows what what would have happened in my life? Yeah. So that's kind of like the main thing. And and there's really no second step to that because if you can follow that, then it will unfold naturally. Um, one other little, and it'll it'll create a lot more magic in your life too. So one other little story about this. So I was walking along with my dog and uh, a butterfly went across my path. And of course, as a dreamer, I'm attuned to noticing little blips of beauty or things that spark my attention. And so I saw this butterfly, I followed it with my eyes and it flew over this short hedge and this green hedge. And I picked out of this hedge, this tiny spot of a different shade of green. And again, because I'm a dreamer and I'm attuned to like, you know, go following those, those little blips. Um, I got closer to it. I was like, what is that? And I found under a leaf, no bigger than my thumb, um, a praying mantis. And then even smaller than that, a male praying mantis. And they were mid coitus. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So you can imagine like that's, pretty, pretty rare. And they were literally under a leaf. Like they were not obvious at all. I even have a picture. Maybe I can even send it to you guys because it's just an amazing picture. But had I not cultivated that tendency to notice when that little bit of awareness like spikes, like something is calling my attention and followed it, I would have missed this incredible moment. By the way, I did leave before the carnage happened. <laughs> okay, so that's a, just a little a little beginning point. There is so much more on that pathway, but essentially just follow that little spark of attention and awareness and give yourself fully to it. When you find that thing, don't worry about if you're good. It doesn't matter. You can be not good the entire span of your entire life, but if that through that art, but if it makes you feel alive, if it makes you feel like more of yourself, if it gives you something, then it's 
it's so valuable, you know, keep doing it. Who cares? You can show no one, you know, and really try to try to get out of the habit of is it good or not? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. All right, my lovelies, I love you so much. And we'll enter back in with Don and Trish. And I hope that was helpful and useful. Mm -hmm. So helpful. Yeah. I love, I love that you're really bringing forward the awareness and to follow the awareness, the spike of awareness. And I honestly say that that, that very key principle has been in my own existence too. I can see it in my own life that I, I follow that curiosity, you know, I'm so grateful for the energy of curiosity, right? Because it it does lead you to really magical doorways in your life of like exploring exploring yourself. It's just giving yourself permission to live in that place. It's so healthy. And it's so, it's such a gentler way to interact with ourselves as well. Like if we come at ourselves with curiosity rather than I'm going to fix it, you know, which we've all like, you know, most of us have been on that stepping stone. If we've been on the healing path is like, we get to this point of like, I'm suffering and I hate it. So I'm going to fix it. And we get really intense, you know, once we find that curiosity is actually far more powerful and it feels so much better then it's more of an e- a quicker go-to, you know, eventually, I think for most of us that, yeah. you know, on the healing journey is like, how can I get curious about what's happening? And it just lightens everything up. You know, it's like life is too short to be too heavy all the time. Like, let's like, we got to come to the surface once in a while, you know, <laughs> in our lightness, yeah. we really experience the pure joy of like living. And that, that joy is what brings the healing sometimes to the deeper places the suffering has been. Yeah. You know, I really guide all my clients to really take on a, you know, spiritual scientist kind of um, perception around become the spiritual scientist, adopt the spiritual scientist, you know, way in life, be curious, you know, Mm. why do I think that? What is that? What is, what is that feeling that I'm feeling? Right. Just become curious about it all because it really will lead you in a good way and, and it'll allow you naturally your inclination, your, your awareness is always leading you to greater height, heightened awareness and expression, right? It's always evolving you into that place. So it's really good to just allow yourself to follow it. Yeah. You'll like this. I like to say um, that if you adopt the perspective of a scientist that deeply loves the subject of their inquiry, so you're when you see something come up, you're like, hmm, interesting, but not just like from a neutral place, from a place that is like you're looking at what's coming up in you. It's like, wow, it's like this treasure trove. And I'm like dedicating my life to study, you know, and like I love this thing, whatever it is, you know. So it's not just study. It's like that you actually really love what you're studying. And then for me, like for myself, who has really struggled with self-love a lot, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work in that area, thankfully, over the last few years. And I'm I do it almost reflexively now. Thank God. Um, but it was that was like a big step of, of and that really was helpful of like, OK, don't just like pick all the little parts apart, but, you know, come at it like you really love what you're examining. Yes. Yeah. Very good. That's very, very, very good. I'm yeah. leaning into that. Like, so yeah. Good. Yeah. It's yummy. It's yummy. I mean, we need more yummy. We need more yum. More compassionate approach. Yeah. Yeah. I've said this many, many times that I don't use the word healing because it mm. implies Yes. I don't think mm. that we're fixable because <laughs> I don't think they were broken. <laughs> like yeah. I'm super glue, something. Like I'm, I, it's really about 
seeing all of as as whole. Um, mm-hmm. I was laying in bed with my lover this morning, and he said to me, "He was just like, I, I love you, even <laughs> even when I'm irritated with you." I was like, "Yeah." Ah. <laughs> I was like, I, I love you. It's it's the irritants are like the they're they're not about my irritants about <laughs> about him. They're about me, right? And and it was like the irritant is like it's the pearl, right? I hmm. get to create that pearl, and and there's nothing wrong with this person who's behaving the way that they're behaving. There is no wrong. There is no right. It just is that experience. Of. Mm-hmm. So if I can find myself and like, oh, I have these habituated patterns of thought and behavior that I'll probably run for the rest of my life. And some mm-hmm. of them I'll ease into different ways. But this is just who I am, my personality, mm-hmm. identity and ego. This is just it. And this mm-hmm. is how I move through the world. And if I can just see myself as a whole human who's expressing this, my spirit through this body, like, oh, I can see that. And yeah, there's things right there that I want to love deeper and make change. I can make change. I create change. Like mm. I, and so I can, if I can love myself in the place that makes me go, <gasps> <laughs> that experience that I had, you know, 20 years ago still hurts. Mm-hmm. It touches a belief or a value or a want in me that's still unmet. Mm-hmm. Like a want for safety in my childhood. And I yeah. just myself there because I know that that compassion will help me be compassionate towards my parents. You know, they're products of their own family. Totally. And I need to write it out or, or art it out. And that's the place. Art it out. <laughs> art it out. That, that compassion helps you actually dissolve the whole egoic structure of seeking security, right? Seeking mm-hmm. security, comfort, and, you know, control, because that's just the ego's way of, you know, that we're human. We have an ego. Everybody does. But it's like, if you find yourself always seeking comfort, security, or control, then you know, there's some crystallized structures in the egoic patterning going on from conditioning from your childhood or wherever it may be. Mm-hmm. And that is really important to kind of have that heightened, bring that heightened awareness, like become curious there. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What's for me, you know, and then you have a deeper inquiry and that deeper self-compassion of like, you can get broader with your, instead of a very narrow blame, shame, wronging yourself, you can get broader with it. And spirit will bring in the truth of like really mirroring to you like, Oh, wow. I can see that I was showing up this way and how the pattern unfolded and what I identified with about myself. And then bam, your mind is blown because you're able to let go of the lens of perception you've been seeing yourself through. Hmm. Hmm. Do ladies want to hear my, uh, my reframe of woundedness? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I don't think that it's possible for us to be wounded. I think that we've just been pronouncing it wrong. So we're not, it's not a wound. It's something that's wound up inside of us. I like so that. I think that what happens is something happens in our life, usually early, earlier before we have the, the propensity, the capacity, the skills to be able to deal with it. And as a self, brilliant self-protective me- mechanism, our psyche winds baffling and 
like really dense material around that event. And it winds it around, it winds it around until such a time much later in life, usually that we do have the skills and the capabilities to begin slowly unwinding that little package that's been living in us, just waiting for us to be ready. Right. And so as we, the unfurling happens, you, you get gifts all the way through. Every time you unheal, you unwrap a layer, there's some gift that you get from it, right? That's how we're in this process of becoming, in this process of becoming, in this process of becoming. And there's really, it's like, it's like a quantum flower. It's like, there's no, there's no end to the layers until we are on the other side, probably. Right. So essentially, and this, you know, this is not just it's not a wound. It's something that's wound inside of us. And the reason why it can't be a wound is because if you have a wound, the most you can hope for is for it to heal with no evidence of ever being wounded. And that's not what the healing path is like. As we go through this path of healing, you become greater, you become better, you become more. So how can it possibly be a wound? It can't. It's it's something that was simply wound up inside of us to be opened later. And we are all, we're, we're still whole. We're always whole. There's nothing damaged about it whatsoever. It's just a little place that's a little wound up. That's all. I love that. Yeah, our yeah. traumas are our greatest treasures. Yeah, and it can feel like that's like such bullshit. Like, oh, come on, spiritual bypass, whatever. <laughs> but when you go through the process enough and you're like, oh, there's a layer, there's a layer, there's a layer, and you become to be at peace with that. You come to be at peace with that process because it can be frustrating at first. Like, I thought I healed this. I thought I healed this, you know. But when enough layers happen and you see how you grew from it and you see all the gifts that came from it and, oh, my gosh, I'm writing a book now about this thing and I couldn't have even done that without that thing, right? Then uh, then you 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 no longer see it as something that's like a pain to go through or, you know, maybe you'll eventually get to that point of like seeing it as a treasure. Right. But at first when you're in deep in the trauma, that's like, hell no, shut up with that noise. You know, <laughs> like I want to cut this stuff out, you know, um, but if you just stay with it, be with the process, be with that unfolding, maybe someday you will actually see it as this flower that's inside of you that is slowly opening petal by petal. And that e in each layer is a diamond. It's not just in the center, you know, part of the childhood piece is yeah. it's called magical thinking. So, so mm -hmm. children are in their developmental stages. So the ego is, they're, they're trying to, their human bodies will automatically evolve to survive. That's yes. what we do. So once you get past some aspect of infancy and you, you have movement that they're, you're trying to find ways to survive in the world. Right. Mm -mm. And then your magical thinking. So by the time you're, you know, you're, by the time you're three years old and it's mostly preferable, you've already decided or understood how to behave with members of the opposite and the same sex. Mm -hmm. So you've already created social relational dynamics. You don't even know, you can't even communicate this. This is mostly preverbal. You're just behaving now out of mirroring. Mm -hmm. And by the time you're seven, you're starting to create personality, identity, and ego, right? So identity starts to create after around seven and you start to develop these things. So can you imagine as a seven-year-old child, like what you're thinking about. You're like, oh my God, mom and dad are having a fight. It's it's because of me. Like it's all coming back to like the behavior of self is creating the world around you instead of the way that we all know it now. So you've created this nugget of belief 
and then you've wound years. So, so, you know, some of us like, like Leah's just like, I'm discovering this at 51. So you have this little <laughs> nugget, this little thing, this little idea, and then you've wound 51 years more over like 40, you know, five years of winding these mm. books and these things on top of it. And you're like, oh shit. And it's all self-perpetuating, right? You're self oh, you got to unwind that. Oh yeah, that one time that that boyfriend or that girlfriend or that person did that. Oh, that thing, that was all And you just keep unwinding. I love the unwinding. That's what we all do as coaches. We help you unwind. Yeah, 100%. 100%. That little nugget is what you identified with when all the material was happening around you, the conditioning, the imprinting, that little nugget is, is the treasure that's awaiting you, but it's also a misidentification or a crystallized thought form that's lodged in the egoic structure. And then it builds your identity around it because it's a self uh, self-fulfilling prophecy and a protection mechanism. So it, it helps you survive as a child as you grow and then you become an adult and you realize, wow, I'm safe to do this work now. I can yeah. really drop it. I have the capacity to feel it now. And you're ready for the gift. You know, and essentially ready? we go through life identifying with the wrapping, not realizing that there's something deeper. There's a gift inside, right? But in order to get to the gift, you have to be willing to deal with the wrapping. You have to be willing yes. to wrestle with some things are wrapped real tight and there's multiple layers, you know, yeah. <laughs> got to sit under that Christmas tree and like get through that wrapping, you know, to, to have the gift. Yeah. Such a beautiful way to talk about it today. And it's so, it's so it's such a metaphor and it's so relatable for everyone because yeah. we all we have all had this. We're all human. This is part of being human. We yeah. all have it. We all have what is called the hero, the hero's journey or heroine's yeah. journey. You know, we've all, we're women. So we've had the heroine's journey in our life. <laughs> of like coming home to self, yeah. right? Around all the parts that all the things that have happened to us, you know, and they yeah. all have deep meaning. Like, I'm just so deeply thankful for I never in my wildest imagination would have thought I'd say this at this age in my life, but mm -hmm. I'm deeply thankful for what I endured in my childhood and my relationship with my father and that I was able to never close the door on that relationship and heal it. Like before yeah. he died, I was able to look him in the eyes with deep compassion and no ounce of needing to fix it, solve it, understand it, or feel broken by it. Mm -hmm. Like yes. he left this earth and I left, I let, I, I was able to, I didn't leave, but I was able to just be in deep compassion, knowing that it was our soul, our soul karma was complete. Mm -hmm. And like, that is, a f I'm just dumbfounded by <laughs> the prof it's profound. Yeah. Profound to share that experience with someone because most people that endure deep abuse and trauma live their whole life not understanding it. Yeah, and I'm here as a as an advocate for those mm -hmm. that want to unwind that mystery inside, and they're mm -hmm. brave enough, and you're ready to take the courage on and so the strength of heart to look at all the parts and come home to love to all of it. Let's do it. I'm here. Yeah. for yeah. And to, and to let yourself feel all the feeling, feelings that come up, just let her rip and know that you're safe. You know, even if it feels remarkably unsafe, you are safe to feel whatever it is you're feeling and you can learn how to hold yourself in a way that makes that 
possible for you to feel safe. Even if no one else gives that to you, you can find a way, learn a way to hold yourself with such love and compassion that you feel safe to feel what you're feeling. And that is such an important um, place to to find in this healing journey, in this, in this path of transformation is how do I create an inner environment that is conducive to transformation, to healing. And it's just like gardening. <clears throat> like we don't make things grow. We make sure it has the right soil. We make sure it has the right amount of sun and, and rain. And we make sure we plant it in the right place. And the, the plant does itself, you know? So I think that transformation is the same way. We're just creating an environment for it to continue to happen naturally, which it wants to, it does. Yeah, self-love does that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Self-love is like, self-love is one of those things where like you think you're doing it. Like, oh, of course I love myself. And then you hopefully come upon a practitioner like either of you ladies that go, no, no. Like you actually have to say it. Like, no, no, no. You have to actually, it's like an action. It's a verb. It's not just like, sure, I love myself. Like go in front of the mirror, tell yourself you love you, you know, and it's so awkward and it feels terrible at first and then things start to move and shift, you know? So I think that's like the biggest misnomer of self-love is like, oh, well, yeah, sure. I like get facials, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. (laughs) It's so much more awkward than that. Yeah. And more powerful. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Such beautiful and amazing conversation today on Mm. self-love on art, on transformation, on anger, on loving our children better. (laughs) Yeah, we really Um, went all over the place. (laughs) I know, great. (laughs) I I have a tendency to to throw in random stuff. This this is how it works. Yeah, so do I. So it was perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I really want to thank Uh Love Coach Jeremy and Scott Thomas, as always, for being the news for the show and for teaching me and, and being my mentor Thank you so much for, for your love and teaching me how to be compassionate and empathetic more deeply. Um, I also want to thank Sign Network for running us on some amazing epic channels because I know that you're really boosting the work and I'm, I'm also really excited to share the work that you guys are doing. Um, thank you again, John and Summer Raymer for your compassion games and for being all over the world spreading love. <laughs> and patient skills like mm. doing really amazing work uh, i've typed in um anna's information so www.deepenlight.com and you can find more about her work and her coaching and all of that and for all the females female identified humans who are watching right now please um sign up or join the group for people who want to rebuild self-trust. And I'm putting that in your hmm. Yes, come jump in and join us. It's a really awesome, beautiful group of women. And we're deeply just peeling away the layers of where mistrust happens and coming home deeper to the heart of love and all the, all the layers of what that is. There's a really <laughs> yummy group of women in there. So come jump in. It's really awesome. Hmm. Lots of good resources and tools there. Aww. Thank you, ladies, for having me. It was so lovely. We could literally talk for like the entire day. I, so. <laughs> I just want to acknowledge you, Anna, so much for your beautiful work in the world. And I love that you're really able to embody like this 
deep process of art in your life and now come home to the authenticity and like give that a voice there mm-hmm. where it's like you're blending it so beautifully. Yeah. Really honor and just acknowledge you there. It's really beautiful yeah. to see you coming home to yourself in this, this magical way. Yeah. I celebrate you. I celebrate yeah. your journey. Oh, thank you so much. I love you so much. Yeah, I love yeah. you too. <laughs> yeah, thank you for being a guest on the show. And it's beautiful to promote your work in the world. And I'm so excited for the for the amazing people you're going to help just really through this deep embodiment process. Oh, and just so everybody knows, so <clears throat> my website and everything, all of my <clears throat> online presence is in the process of being completely reworked. Uh, I'm in the middle of writing a book, which is all about art and healing and transformation. Uh, and so that's going to be coming out as well. So if you want to get on my email list now, then you'll know when those things are co- going to be coming out. And I'm going to be sharing little snippets of it all along the way. So um, if you want to be on the ride from not the beginning, but the now, <laughs> you can jump on there and there'll be more healing transformational retreats and all sorts of fun things in the future. So jump in with me and I'd love to have you. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, have an amazing week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.